welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. We are in a series called the Sermon on the Mount. I, I shared last week, we started this series when we launched our church. We framed Garden Church around the Sermon on the Mount because we thought this would be the best way to frame our church with the words of Jesus uh, from his sermon in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, and so that's what we're doing. Last week, I, I kind of introduced um, a, the sermon, I suppose. I, if you weren't here last week, you can watch that online. Um, but we, we talked about how the structure of, of the Sermon on the Mount is sandwiched between power encounters of, by the Holy Spirit, that we see that Jesus heals all sicknesses, and, and there's a list of various illnesses and demon possessions in Matthew chapter 4, verse 24. And then the Sermon on the Mount happens, a few chapters of that, which we'll go through verse by verse over the next several weeks. And then it ends, and immediately uh, Jesus does 10 miracle stories in chapters 8 and 9. And so Matthew's just framing this is the ministry of Jesus. It's the healing of the sick, it's the uh, deliverance of evil spirits, and it's teaching and preaching the kingdom of God. So this morning we open up in probably one of the most misunderstood texts in all of the scriptures. It's the Beatitudes. So I thought we could pray for revelation this morning, that God would give us greater revelation and help us to understand his word that we might live in response. Um, I have a bug. Jesus, would you come? (laughs) Nailed it. Would you come and reveal yourself to us through your word? Allow your Holy Spirit to fill us with wisdom and revelation understanding of your scriptures and the understanding of your words, Jesus, to us as disciples. I pray that we would be good soil and we wouldn't be distracted and that we would produce a fruit from this church that's a hundredfold. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so what is the Sermon on the Mount? The Sermon on the Mount is, uh, first of all, it is a Jesus manifesto on how to be human again. And I say that intentionally. Because this, in Matthew's gospel, is a reframing of the the Ten Commandments and the law of the Old Testament. Matthew makes it perfectly clear. Jesus is the new Moses, and this sermon is the new law, in a sense. And remember, you can't live this sermon sermon out without the power of the Holy Spirit. No how much you try, you won't be able to embody this message without the presence of God in your life. But what you need to know is this is a manifesto on how to be human again. Uh, another way you could say it is, is it's how to live in the kingdom of God as disciples of Jesus. So as we look through this, we're going to see that Jesus is going to challenge every religious uh, bone in our bodies. He will, he will say to us in this text, to get into the kingdom, the bar is lowered as, po- as low as it can possibly go. But now that you're in, to live in the kingdom, the expectations of your righteousness will be greater than the most religious people of the day. How is that possible? It's a bit of a contradiction. But the only way you're going to get it is if you have the presence of God and you understand the kingdom works in a different way. So here's the text, Matthew. It says this, verse 1 of chapter 5. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and sat down. Now, what were the crowds? If you look at the verses before this, they were a bunch of sick people who've been healed, a bunch of demon-possessed people that were uh, exercised, um, a bunch of paralyzed people who were walking, a bunch of poor people in the, in the sides of Syria and all over Decapolis and Galilee. 
That's the crowd, along with a, a sprinkling of, of religious folks like the Pharisees. But it says that Jesus sat down. That's what rabbis would do when they were going to teach or when you were going to bring a verdict of the law in court. The, the person of authority would sit down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach. And here it is, the beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs, it, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. What a list of blessings. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say, like, amazing list of blessings, these beatitudes? The word blessed is markyrios, markyrios. Markyrios is a strange word. It's a Hebrew word, but it's also used in pagan literature, and it's used around the time of Jesus um, all over the place, but it's not translated very well in the English. Some translations have what we just read, blessed, and that's fine, but it's not the same word used for God's blessing or divine favor. There's a different word for that. Some translations use this word and translate it to mean happy. Happy are those who are poor in spirit. But that comes with all sorts of American overtones, which we'll talk about from our culture. But really, blessed is a salutation. It's kind of like saying, congratulations. You just had a kid. Congratulations, you just got a job. Congratulations, you would say, Markyrios. It was a way of saying, celebrate, throw a party. Let's get together tonight. You have, the fortune have smiled all over you. That's what he's saying. Pedro, do you need something? Go for it. Yeah, you turn it on. This is Pedro. He is uh, the custodian here. He makes all this happen. Let's give it up for Pedro. He gets the chairs set up. He puts them out for us. Thank you, Pedro. He's taking care of the kids, making sure everything's clean out there. He's the man, the myth, the legend. Appreciate you, brother. So what you would say is congratulations, fortune has smiled on you, blessed are you. But there's so much in misinterpretation around this text. So let's start with this. What this beatitudes, what this list is not. Because I think many of us have adopted the wrong interpretation of what this is. First of all, it's not a list of virtues. These are not conditions of blessedness. Now, there, I've read a bunch of scholars on this, and most of them don't think it's a list of virtues, but some of them do. And so what they say, what they have to do is some type of hermeneutical pyrotechnics, like gymnastics, to make it make sense. And what I mean by that is they get to, oh, poor in spirit. That means somebody who's dependent on God spiritually. They say things like those who mourn, and what they, they try to translate that to mean is those who feel a deep emotional pain for over their sin and over the conditions of their own life and the world around them. They, they translate the meek to mean those who actually have power but have it under control. 
But Jesus doesn't say that here. You can't believe that that's what this text means. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And there's two different translations for the word poor. One has to do with the working poor, and the other has to do with abject poverty, extreme poverty, which translates to be um, living hand-to-mouth. People who are living hand-to-mouth, meaning extreme forms of poverty. He says he uses that Greek word, and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And Dallas Willard translates this to mean the spiritual zeros, the spiritual dumb, those without a spiritual bone in their bodies who don't have a clue. You're blessed. Congrats. Favor rests on you. Throw a party. Blessed are those who have nothing to offer any of those spiritual conversations. The spiritually ignorant, living without even a sense of evil and good or up and down. Blessed. Same with those who mourn. He says, blessed are those who mourn. He doesn't say those who mourn over their sin. It simply says those who mourn. Those whose child just died. Those who lost a co-worker this last week. Those whose startup failed and all their money is gone. And they're mourning the loss of their career. Blessed is the one who has a teenager who's a mess and they can't figure it out. Blessed are those who are mourning over the divorce that is yet to be finalized. And you're living in two different homes. Jesus is not saying those who mourn is a good thing. Blessed are the meek. You know, the meek, the powerless, the, the oppressed. Congratulations, you're oppressed, he says, to a group of people who are being taxed by the Romans and the, the religious elite, the, Jew, the Sanhedrin, and, 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 and those who are living in poverty. 90% of Israel at that time was living in poverty. Those who are under the oppression of Rome. And he's saying, blessed are those who are oppressed. And he's not saying injustice is a good thing. This is not a virtue that you want to desire in your life. Well, what about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? Now, you could read it and it could mean, hey, you know, it's some type of deep egg for God in your worship, right? I'm hungering for the righteousness of God, but that's not what he says. In the Greek, he's talking about righteousness, which is a, a better translation would be the Hebrew word for shalom, peace. Matthew means right relationship with God, other self, and the whole earth, the cosmic peace that we desire from the creation of things. What he's saying is he's people who are hungering for peace and righteousness in the relationships around them, and they don't have it right now. Their life is a mess. It's the single mom who lost custody to their kids. And their kid, her kids are in the foster system and she's an addict and she's longing for the peace but she just can't help herself and she's experiencing injustice and longing for righteousness for things to be the way they should be but she can't do it on her own and Jesus says, congrats. Are you understanding how offensive this list of blessedness is? We don't fit it, most of us. 
We can't, it only, it's, it's an American thing to psychologize this, this list of things to make it a virtue to pursue because, so, because we're so disconnected from injustice and poverty in our lives. We're so insulated. We experience it on social media, so we protest with our tweets, but we don't actually experience the kind of blessing that Jesus is referring to that the crowds were experiencing They would have been in shock as he starts his inaugural state of the cosmos with these lists of blessedness. It insults the American consciousness, and it should because of why he says it, which we'll get to at the end. So stay with me. Now, the first four lists of blessedness are, are, are clearly not virtues. You could argue that the next four have a bit of virtue-like um, conversation in them, but there's really only one that I would say, I could go through each of them that could, that could argue with you that has a virtue attached to it, and it's blessed are the peacemakers because Jesus adds on, they will be called children of God. And what he means by that is it's a, a first century idiom that a child of God would be the same character or status of the father. So peacemakers carry the same status or character of the Father. God is himself a peacemaker. But overall, this is not a list of virtues. These are not conditions of blessedness. So it's not a list of virtues. Please know that. Second, it's not a list of commands. See, what we want to do is take these as virtues and then naturally move them into a command. We read them as commands, something you ought to go and do and be. So you read poor in spirit and you think you need to become poor in spirit, but that's not what it's saying. That's not his motivation for what he's saying. It's not a list of commands. You can't go and make yourself be persecuted. That's not what he's saying in his Beatitudes. The third thing, it's not a list of timeless truths. We love to do this in scripture, right? Take that verse out of context. God, I know God has plans for me. plans to prosper. We love Jeremiah 29, 11, don't we? Now, if you read that in context and apply the whole thing, I don't think you would be using that as your life verse. Just read the whole chapter and the couple passages before and after. Next time you're doing baby baby dedications, just refer to the whole chapter, just FYI. No insults if you didn't know that you should do that, but you should. It's not a list of timeless truths. If you think about the Beatitudes, these, this is not how the world works, right? Sometimes, in very rare cases, the meek will inherit the earth. But most of the time, it's Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, and people with power. Would you agree? People holding the most land in the United States are not the meek. They are the powerful and rich. So this is not a list of timeless truths. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are not always filled in this lifetime. In fact, sometimes they die on the streets yet to be filled. Are you with me? This is why we can hold, we'll get there in a second. So what is it? Well, first of all, It's a radical redefinition of God's blessing through the lens of the kingdom of God. It's a re, 
definition, a radical reorientation, something that is by itself countercultural to the day and still to our day. Um, at the time that Jesus preached this message, there was a very famous um, writer, uh, a rabbi, who went by, the, the writings was called Sirach. And Jesus um, would have been very aware of Ben Sirach, who wrote these lists of blessings, which were popular a century or two before the time of Jesus. And I'm going to quote someone that would have been known at the time Jesus preaches the Beatitudes. And this is from Sirach, or as I like to, to call him, uh, if you want to spice it up, is sriracha. But here it is. It says this. I can, that was a cheesy dad joke. You're welcome. I'll use it in the second service. Um, I, I can't think of nine whom I would call blessed. And a tenth my tongue proclaims. Look at the list. These are the people who are blessed. A man who can rejoice in his children. A man who lives to see the downfall of his foes. Happy the man who lives with a sensible wife. And the one who does not plow with ox or a donkey together. Happy is the one who does not sin with the tongue. The one who has not served an inferior. Happy is the one who finds a friend and the one who speaks to attentive listeners. How great is the one who finds wisdom, but none is superior to the one who fears the Lord. Fear of the Lord surpasses everything. To whom can, he, can we compare the one who has it? This is from the book of Sirach, chapter 25, verse 7 through 11. Ancient text. So let's paraphrase this in our own context to how we understand God's blessing today. You are hashtag blessed if you have a great family. You're not single. You beat all your enemies or competition. You have a great marriage and great sex life. You do well in business. You're well spoken of and socially you're on your game. You're free and in power and have authority. You're not cowering in fear or stuck at, at the bottom of a corporate org chart. You're not lonely, but you're in the in crowd and you're well-respected and popular. I mean, is this not how we see the celebrity culture and the blessed life in our American context? It is same at the time of Jesus that this is what it means to be blessed by God. This is what it means to have God's favor. This is what it means to be religious or have it put together. This is what it looks like to be a good Christian today. This is what we think. These are the expectations we carry of blessing. It's been Americanized. And in America, we know happiness. Now just stay with me because it's gonna land in just a second. We know happiness. Remember, replace blessing with happy. That's the translation. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Happy are those who mourn. What is Jesus getting after? What does he mean? We can't fully grasp it yet. And especially in the American context, because happy has been promised in the Declaration of Independence. We know this. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And when I meet Thomas Jefferson, I'm going to have him include women in the sequel work. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's that feeling good about yourself kind of life. Happiness in our context is about feeling good about our life and situation, isn't it? Happiness has all sorts of problems in this human experience called America. 
because this idea is flawed from the beginning. First of all, social science tells us that at least 50% of you uh, recognize that happiness is a genetic thing. 50% of us carry the genetic makeup to be happy. The other 50%, well, you're screwed. It's true. Just look it up. Second, happiness in America has always been based on comparison, right? This is why humanity lived for thousands of years without the luxuries of modern world. Running water, electricity, food in the fridge, I can turn on the faucet and water comes out hot. Yet, I'm unhappy because I don't have the new Tesla, I don't have the, the ADU, I don't have the second home or the car, the third, whatever it is, I don't have an electric mountain bike because that's a thing. Just throwing out Father's Day ideas. <laughs> Isn't it true? And we live in a world of comparison. We go online and we feel unhappy about our lives because we aren't happy. Because happy is conditional based on comparison. So if they're not doing good and we're a little bit better, we feel happy. And then they get the upgrade and the better job and we don't feel as happy. So we shop our happiness and it's prime delivered in two days. Right? You know I'm just speaking prophetically. Because it's true. Why you can sit online on Instagram scrolling and feel worse about yourself because it's designed to do that. And so happiness as we've defined it is good circumstances which basically are out of our control. And so my point is we've defined happiness as a feeling good about yourself and your situation and then we chase after it and then life actually happens. That illness comes. That COVID restriction shut your business down and you lost your dream. The, the, for some of us, there's, there's spouses in here who gave up their careers so they could be at home as their kids were over Zoom doing school. There's an estimation that this last year cost working women $625,000 in their lifetime because of the loss of their income having to do with their families. I mean, the situations happen. Disappointment comes into play. You're met with that relapse of the anxiety and depression which you can't control, but something triggered it so it sets you down again. We have to recognize that life happens and we're not in control. And we live in a culture that believes we can build happiness, but that whole thing is built on this failed experiment of comparison. And Jesus simply says, blessed. Blessed a blessed person is someone who, because of the heart of God, is promised and enjoys God's favor regardless of that, that person's status or condition. The only way this will make sense is if you experience life through the lens of the kingdom of God, which we're going to read through. So you're not going to get it today. You're going to be frustrated. But we're going we're to look over the next 12 weeks or so through the Sermon on the Mount on what it looks like to now live in and breathe in the oxygen of the kingdom of God, that heaven is at our fingertips, that we can live currently in the present moment in God's reign, in the heaven realities, in his rule, 
and with the future promise of what is to come. It's what scholars call the now and not yet, not yet reality of the kingdom of God. It's here and it's coming. It's like my man Jeremy who's getting married on Saturday. I was just thinking about this. Jeremy, where are you at? Jeremy's getting married on Saturday. It's like he's not yet, he's still engaged. He's not married yet. It's almost here. They're probably moving in. They're probably moved their apartment. Apartment's ready to go, right? I don't even know. I'm just guessing. They moved into a new apartment. He's not married yet. He can't go into that. That's not him. It's not his wife. It's not his, but it's almost there. He's, he's almost there. He's moving into that real. He can taste it. And then he's going to get in and he's going to be married, but he's still going to have that singleness with him, if you know what I mean. Anyone that married can say Amen. You don't know this yet, Jeremy, but you're going to get married and all of the baggage of your singleness is going to come with you. There are things you're going to learn really quickly that you didn't realize because now you're married with somebody and there's all sorts of differences. And luckily, Garden Church helped you with conflict resolution. You're going to learn how to fight fair and clean, emotionally healthy. It will not be as bad, but there will be moments where you will forget you are married because you live in that new reality. Now, when the kingdom of God comes, healing has, how many of you have experienced healing from the Lord in something? Raise your hand. It does see like miraculous healing. Anyone experienced miraculous healing, inner peace? Your trauma was released, physical healing. Um, you've seen, I mean, I've seen, I've seen cancer healed. I've seen deaf people here. I've seen cataracts come off people's eyes. I've seen demonic people. I've seen demons manifesting on people, and we prayed for that person, and then it jumped to the next person, and, and it truly was, oh, I'm like, we got to send that spirit to Jesus. I've seen those things, and I've prayed for people, and they die that day. I've done their memorial services. I, that's the tension we live in, that God's kingdom is here it's present. You can touch it. It's close. And sometimes it's so close. There's miracles everywhere. And sometimes it feels so far away. We're crying out, why not now, God? And he's crying with us. And we live in this tension because we're kingdom disciples. Now, what many of the problems go sideways is when we live in the not yet. And we don't even believe that the kingdom is here. So we're not praying for healing. We're not believing there can be change. We're not believing you can be transformed. That porn addiction can be gone. That other addiction can be gone. Your marriage can be restored. That healing can take place. We just forget about it because it's too scary. It's too hard. It's too out of our control. But we're called as disciples to live in that thin space of now and not yet. Are you with me? Some of us need to be reminded that it's also not yet. That we can't just, we can't just live in the now Right? That faith comes out and it's quite aggressive. Might just need to work this out with my therapist, right? It might not be a demon. It could be. It could. But it might just need to heal with some help and aspirin. It might just need that. Are you with me? Can we be a church that holds the tension of the now and not yet reality and figure out how to honor the past and other streams, but find our own way? Like, what if God wants to birth a new movement from the garden? And it doesn't have to look like the Pentecostal movement. It doesn't have to look like the vineyard. It doesn't have to look like that church in Reading. It doesn't have to look like your friend's church in San Diego. It could just be us. And God could even use you to begin a revival. Could you imagine? It's not going to happen because you tried to replicate it or because you went to the source of where it started. It happened because you cried out and God showed up. 
So we live in the not now and not yet, which we'll talk about. So Jesus wants to train you to see things through the lens of the kingdom. And remember, he's going to have all sorts of teachings that make us so frustrated. And we don't call it that because we spiritualize it. The first shall be last, really? And the last shall be first? Now, if that should offend most of us, because most of us are winning in this cultural race around here. If we have cars, if we have a home, if we're not living in poverty, there's something telling. The greatest among you will be those who serve. Whatever you do for the least of these, it's better to give than receive. Invest your resources in something that lasts for eternity. Don't worship wealth and money. Hey, and don't forget, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worries on its own. So live an anxious, free life. There you go, church. This is his expectation of you. This is not some hallmark cliche, a nice little verse to add at the end of your your P.S., under Aslan's paw, email link. <laughs> Remain in his vine. <laughs> I don't mean, you know, someone's like, I'm, I'm deleting Jeremiah 29, 7, 11 right now. <laughs> it's not what, that's not how the world works. In this list... This list reveals something to us about the reality of the kingdom. That we live in the tension of blessing today and a hope for tomorrow. Blessing today and a hope for tomorrow. Those who mourn aren't often comforted. The meek don't often inherit the earth and so on. But because we have one foot in the kingdom of God and one in reality, we begin to see things change, bits and pieces, a story over here, a story over there, and one day it will all become reality. That is our hope and expectation that the kingdom of God will manifest and all things will be renewed under the lordship of Jesus Christ. But we need to see this through the lens of the kingdom of God. One day, um, one day there will be a time when those who mourn will be comforted once and for all. Are you with me, church? So Jesus begins the beatitude, redefining God's favor. Where is God's presence resting, right? There was a question back then on how to inherit the kingdom of God, how to, how to be blessed, to walk in salvation. And across the board, everyone knew that if you were wealthy, if you had a good family, if you were smart, if you had good business, if you were, had good character, if you didn't have to work on Sabbath, you were blessed by God. That was a defi- definition of successful living in the kingdom of God. Jesus confronts that thinking and flips it upside down. Why does he do this? That is probably the most significant thing I want to share with you today, is what is the beatitude? What are the beatitudes? It's simply answering the question, who gets into the kingdom? Therefore, Jesus begins his sermon with an announcement. He begins with a proclamation. The religious system of his day left out the multitudes, the crowd that was gathered to hear the voice of Jesus. And Jesus simply says, you're all in. 
Favor starts with where you are, not where you should be. God's presence, it's already near. You can grab it. It's here. Favor rests. Congrats. The kingdom is yours. It's for you and you and you and the person that was delivered of the evil spirits. You too and the tax collectors that are throwing parties. You're included. The kingdom is an invitation to anyone that no matter how far off, no matter how unfair life has been to you, no matter how troubled your past is, how many demons you've allowed in, Jesus says you can't earn your way into the kingdom. You can't pay your way into the kingdom. You can't deserve it. All you can do is receive it. This is the gospel according to Jesus. The kingdom of God begins with a list of blessings and it flips the religious system upside down and says my kingdom is not based on performance. My kingdom says you're blessed because the king touched you. And if that's not offensive enough, enough, then let's read Dallas Willard's words. The kingdom of God is for the flunkouts, the dropouts, and the burnouts, the broke and the broken, the drug heads and the divorced, the HIV positive and the herpes ridden, the brain damaged and the incurably ill, the barren and the pregnant too many times or the pregnant at the wrong time, the overemployed, the underemployed, and the unemployed, the unemployable, the swindled, the shove aside, the replaced, the parents with children living on the street, the children with parents not dying in the rest home, the lonely and the incompetent, the stupid, the emotionally starved or emotionally dead, and on and on and on it goes. It is true that earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. It is true. Jesus offers to all such people as these the present blessedness of the present kingdom regardless of circumstances. Even the moral disasters will be received by God and they come to rely on Jesus, count on him, and make him their companion in his kingdom. Murderers, child molesters, the brutal, the bigoted, the drug lords, the pornographers, war criminals and the sadists, terrorists, the perverted and the filthy and the filthy rich. Can't we feel some sympathy for Jesus' contemporaries who huffed at him? This man is cordially, cordial to sinners and even eats with them. Sometimes I feel I don't really want the kingdom to be open to such people, but it is. That is the heart of God. If I, as a recovering sinner myself, accept Jesus' good news, I can go to the mass murderer and say, you can be blessed in the kingdom of heavens. There is forgiveness that knows no limits. To the worshiper of Satan, to those who rob the age and the weak, to the cheat and the liar, to the bloodsucker and the vengeful, blessed, 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 as they flee into the arms of the kingdom among us. This is what Jesus said in the Beatitudes. This is how his sermon begins. This is how his message of the kingdom begins in the Gospel of Matthew. A welcoming of all, an inclusive invitation that redefines blessing through his kingdom, an announcement of the gospel that God loves you as you are and not as you should be, that God's with you where you are and not where you should be. God's good and beautiful life is made available for you because that's just the way it is. Unfair, undeserved, lavished on you because of God's goodness. Period. Full stop. That's the kingdom of God. So, Beatitudes. What is it? Radical redefinition of blessing. 
Most of all, it's an announcement. And then it's an announcement that we must carry church. Of all the people in the world right now who are the most judgmal, judge, judgmental, judgmental is a new word I just created, <laughs> hypocritical judgment. We're judgmental, we're hypocritical, we're anti-everyone that doesn't look, dress, vote like us. But our king brings a message of God's divine favor, blessing, happiness to the least likely folks. We must believe this. We must allow that word to get into our bones, into our muscle tissues, into our memories, to create new synapses, to create new electrical firing, so that when we think of thought, what comes out is blessing and favor on the least likely folks, especially those folks. That's what we're called into. How offensive is that as a church? It is so offensive. We don't get to judge according to the Sermon on the Mount. We don't, we don't get to use our religious wisdom to force people to do what we want. We simply say yes. We simply say no. We don't get to get inappropriately angry. We don't get to look at people and think of possession and lust. We have to radical, re, radically redefine what it means to be Christian today and build a better culture. But it starts by recognizing you cannot perform your way into the kingdom of God. No matter how far off you've been, whether you've been walking with the church your whole life or whether you walked in the church today, it does not matter. It's all the same according to Jesus. The way you get in is by receiving it. So if it's been 10 years since you've repented, great. It doesn't matter if it's been 60, 10, 1, or a day. It's the same. You're welcome here. You're invited here. Happy. Congrats. Let's throw a party. You with me? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.